Well, good morning. So happy to be here with you to celebrate the Sunday before Christmas. It's going to be here in just a matter of a few days. And so I, I pulled out the old plaid, the old Christmas plaid. Can I share with you something that's near and dear to my heart, a prized possession? Can I, can I do that? Can I share? Show and tell? If we had to be evacuated, this would definitely make, uh, make it to the SUV. I'd find, I'd find room. Something would have to go if, if, if need be. This is my grandparents' mortar and pestle. Handed down to me. Essential to any Italian kitchen. Uh, you can grind pine nuts and garlic, fresh herbs. Essential to any kitchen, and it's in my possession. Now, my, my grandparents, my grandmother Rose and my grandfather Guido, it looks like it, they paid $1.50 for it. This is marked on the bottom. But in our family, this is a precious heirloom. So I never met my grandparents. They died a couple of years before I was born. But my Nona used it, as my great-grandmother used it, and my dad used it. And now it's, it's mine. And when I, when I take this and smell, I can almost, I can smell garlic and pine nuts and red wine. If I really let my imagination run with me for a moment, I can smell Sacramento, California. And family get-togethers. And aunts and uncles that are only speaking Italian have no idea what they're saying. You know, pesto is an Italian dish with pasta, not pesto, pesto. The ingredients haven't changed. It's, it's basil, garlic, pine nuts, reggiano, parmesan, don't buy that canned stuff, the good stuff, and really good Italian olive oil. But the method of making it in my house has changed. This precious heirloom is now left on a shelf. It's just more convenient. You throw everything in a Cuisinart, right? Just hit the button faster, more convenient. Yet something of my family, my bloodline, my history is lost, forgotten. Been replaced. Can you think of something like that in your own family? Like, go back, let's say, 70 years. Let's go back to the 1950s. What of your family lore and history and meaningful Christmas dishes have been lost, forgotten, or replaced? The prophet Isaiah is writing to the people of Judah, and he's warning them of great judgment that's coming their way. But he also saw, beyond that judgment, ultimate redemption of all that was lost, all that was forgotten, all that was replaced. And that's what we're looking at in chapter 40 in Isaiah's prophecy. In the year 722 B.C., the whole northern kingdom of, of, of Israel was exiled to Assyria, and then some 120 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah was, was besieged by 
the empire of Babylon. And so in 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire besieged the city for a year, causing terrible deprivation and suffering, eventually taking the king and his court and his craftsmen, a.k.a. essential workers, and some 10,000 captives back to Babylon. And just a few years after that, the armies moved in, and they destroyed everything in Jerusalem. All the houses were destroyed. And the temple of God, for the Jewish people, the, the center of the cosmos, the temple built by Solomon, was absolutely pulverized. Thousands more were evacuated from their homes. No time to take anything precious to them to evacuate. They were ripped from their homes and relocated in and around Babylon far in the east. They became exiles. Imagine for a moment how traumatizing that would be for you, for your family, for your kids. Now imagine if your whole life you've been told you are the chosen people of God. You are residing in the promised land. And now, that's but a memory. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept as we thought of Zion. So much of the Old Testament, that the Hebrew Scriptures, speaks to this first Holocaust, this event ripping from their homes and taking them to a far and distant and foreign land. Jeremiah writes about the exile. He told the people, bless the city that you're in, but hold on to your faith. Find that middle way. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is pouring out the grief and disappointment and the desire to go back. The book of Daniel is set in Babylon. During the same period, parts of 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, the book of Ezra, the theme is throughout this concept of being an exile. The exile lasted 70 years. And the, as they re, were returning, the Israelites returned in waves. Some returned right away. Some were delayed. And some said, you know what? We're doing all right here in Babylon. Some never went back. They decided to stay. Imagine those 70 years. Imagine your family in the 1950s. Now imagine from that time till now, how much has changed in your family? How many marriages? How many deaths? How many remarriages? How many changes have happened? How much is lost, forgotten, and replaced? Well, for immigrants, for immigrant families, it really only takes a, about one generation to lose your language and culture. My dad grew up uh, in Sacramento, California, a child of depression, only spoke Italian in the home, didn't teach me or my brothers how to speak Italian. We lost all of that culture. How long does it take to lose the culture, to adapt new ways? These Israelites were moved to this huge, multi-ethnic multi-pagan, many, many little gods, community run by Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of Babylon, the longest reigning, most powerful emperor of that time, of the monarchy of Neo-Babylon. 
How would you react as a leader in your family? Stand for what we believe. Let's hold on. Let's teach it to our kids. We've got to make our way through this reality, this world. We can't protect our kids from everything. Just, I want you to put yourself into this situation. And into this type of situation, the second Isaiah has a message of comfort and good news and courage. He says to the people in chapter 40 and onward, God has heard you. You've served your time. The Lord God is coming for you. Prepare the way of your coming king. He will return you out of exile and back to the promised land. That's the great message that we've been looking at this whole season that we call Advent, home for Christmas. They get to go home. And so it's a message of preparation. It's a message of of courage. And it's a message of, of packing light. We'll see that these people have forgotten something. And Isaiah is used by the living God to remind them of who they are and whose they are. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 40. We're picking up right where we left off, where David left off last week. Chapter 40, verse 18 to 24. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol... A metal worker cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up the idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Isaiah is saying, people, nothing compares to our God. Like, like, have you forgotten so soon? Nothing. Nothing compares to our God. And, and I love how he has a little bit of a sarcastic tone. Let me try my best. I want to really kind of amp up the sarcasm here in verses 18 to 20. He's mocking idol worship here in this passage. Idol worship was so prevalent in in Babylon. Little baubles and trinkets and little things that you could ward off evil spirits and whatnot that would would come in. And he's like, really, people? Really? You, You go down to the shop, you buy a piece of lead that's overlaid in some cheap gold, put a silver chain, you put that around your neck, and that's going to protect you? That's going to protect you from the storms? Really? This is where it's come to. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're not wealthy. You're kind of poor. And so what? You're going to go find some wood. You're going to root around and find some wood that's not going to rot and have somebody whittle a little tiki something rather for you? Is that going to save you? I'm trying my best for the sarcasm. Is it? Am I I producing the sarcasm? I'm seeing some heads nodding. There is no one, Isaiah needs to remind these people, no one 
like the true and only God. To compare him to an idol, to make space for an idol, either on your mantle or mentally, is blasphemous. Nothing, nothing compares to our God. Isaiah's talking to people 70 years in. Well, you know, the kids these days, it's not like the old days, right? Can you hear the story? Yeah, we, we still say our prayers and we teach them the old stories and the stories of Moses, but they also have some other new friends and some new things that they incorporate into their lives. And Isaiah is pointing here to the tendency of human beings, weak and frail as we are, to invent idols, to worship. We invent them to fit into our needs in our lives. But what ends up happening with that little idol that you celebrate, you say, hey, Siri, can you, can you help me out? You serve me, right, Siri? It ends up turning around. We end up serving the idol. Can I tell you a Christmas story? True story from my previous church. Can I tell you? Okay, I might get in trouble. True story, previous church, there was a controversy about the nativity scene. Okay, let's look at our nativity scene way over here. Does everyone see so it's way over here? Okay. Oh, there's the wise men. There's Mary and Joseph. There's a, I, I found out in the first service, this is about as old as our church, which is almost 40 years old. Pretty old, right? Well, my previous church was founded in 1845. That nativity scene was older than old. And it wasn't placed off far off to the side. No, no. It was front and center every Sunday in Advent. It would be set up front and center on the platform. Here's the controversy. Where's baby Jesus? When does baby Jesus show up? Does baby Jesus show up in the nativity scene every Sunday during Advent because we're, we're, in, we're anticipating his return, but he's there, we're singing, we're celebrating? Or does baby Jesus only show up on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. I'm the new pastor. I'm getting pulled each way by the ladies of the church. Pastor Pete, theologically speaking, and true to the traditions for all the years that I've been associated with the women's ministry, baby Jesus does not show up until Christmas Eve. He's not here yet. That's theologically correct. Am I right, Pastor Pete? Pastor Pete, surely you, with all of your learned knowledge of Scripture, knows that Jesus is already reigning. He's already here. And what are Mary and Joseph staring at anyway? Some hay? Someone was missing the point of Christmas. I'm not making this up. Baby Jesus went missing. Until Christmas Eve, I think one of the ladies hid Jesus in her purse for safekeeping. It's not Christmas yet. Without baby Jesus, see how we can turn things into something more than a thing. It becomes so precious. It becomes irreplaceable. Why, why do we do that? We're infusing those important, cherished items in our home that you've unwrapped and you've put on your tree at this time of year. There's nothing wrong with that. It's because we don't want to lose. We don't want anyone to forget. We don't want those memories to be replaced. But Isaiah is saying 
to you and to me and to these people. We need to get our priorities straight. We need not to turn anything into an idol that supplants the position of God. He says, we look for ways to make idols that will last, that won't rot, that won't topple over, but the reality is they do fade. Think about what's lost, what's forgotten, what's been replaced when we substitute true and complete worship of the living God with any idol in our lives. Isaiah is saying a message of comfort, a message of courage, but a message of preparation, pack light. Pack light, leave those things behind. He continues, look at verse 21 and following. Here is just these rhetorical questions. He's just hammering away at the people. I love the message translation by Eugene Pearson. He says it this way. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Haven't you heard these stories all of your life? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? What's he saying? He's saying, how have you forgotten so soon, people? You would give in to the ways of Babylon. And then this wonderful poetic language of God being enthroned in the heavens, that he stretches out time and space. And you know what people are to, to the one true God who is above all things beyond this universe, who stretches out time and space? He says, they're like little grasshoppers. He talks about princes. And it says in NIV, judges are rulers, but actually the translation would be judges. That the living God plants and waters and allows to grow anyone in political power or judicial power. He measures it all out. And then with one puff, they're blown in the wind. Existing so long in this foreign land, the people had forgotten who they serve. He's basically saying, don't be mesmerized by Babylon. Long for a return home to the promised land. And so he reminds the people here, I'm so excited for what's coming in January. We're going to have a new series in January, 13-week series called Knowing God. Because what's, what's in fact happening here in Isaiah 40 with all these rhetorical questions and all the sarcasm is he's trying to shake them into kind of realizing what they're missing. It's like he's, he's compressing their chest to try to get their, their stone hearts beating again because they have forgotten who God is. And so this new year is going to start with a 13-week series called Knowing God. We'll go deep into the theology of who God is, how he's revealed himself to us. And here it is for Isaiah to say it again and again. Nothing compares to God. God made everything. God is sovereign over all of the nations. He is incomparable. And everything is under his power. Isaiah is saying this, people, not to shake them up and make them feel bad, but to strengthen weak faith, to encourage them for the journey back home. That nothing can compare to our God. Do you believe that today? Do you? This theme of exiles throughout Scripture, also the theme of recognizing and understanding how great our God is, the one true living 
God. That there was a reason that he called Abraham to come to be blessed, but then to be a blessing to the nations. Let me give you an example of of how theology just jumps off the page of understanding who God is and the mission that God has given to us. So uh, if you can, just turn to Psalm 113. Psalm 113, it falls right in line here with Isaiah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise his holy name. And he says that the Lord has, has raised on the sun in the place that he has set it. He's exalted over all of the nations. There's just this message of God's glory and power over all things, just like Isaiah was, was saying, this canopy over all things, and people are just like grasshoppers, right? So that's what he says. And then the psalmist says this, verse 79, so beautiful. This great and all-powerful God, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people, He gives the barren woman a home, makes her the joyous mother of children. Praise be to our God. Even though God is beyond comparison, exalted above everything in the universe, and not only does he dish out authority and then remove it as he chooses, he just blows it with the word of his mouth. And yet, that one true God humbles himself enough to be able to relate to you and to me and to his creation. You see that in the Old Testament and in the New? That the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called forth this nation to be a blessing to the nations. So one of the reasons why the people of Judah had lost their way and were being judged was because they had forgotten that mission from God. They had enjoyed their wealth and their influence to the detriment of the mission they were on. They took their position for granted and disregarded the poor and showed little compassion for those in need. That's why they're in the predicament in which they're in. And yet, Isaiah is reminding the people, the psalmist is reminding the people how great God is. And yet, this God comes to us to serve and to care and to love. And his name is Jesus. Turn back with me to to Isaiah, Isaiah 40. Look at verse 22. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. Notice that word, the tent. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there dwelt, tabernacled pitched his tent would be a common way of saying he pitched his tent with us. God's design was to create all of this for his glory and to put human beings in it for their own good, to worship him and to come first in a perfect garden and that was lost. Then in a moving tent of worship, the tabernacle, and that was destroyed. Then into a temple, a physical place, and that was replaced. And here finally, to come in flesh and blood in the form of Jesus, full of grace and truth. And not only does God promise here to meet physical needs, look at the psalm again. He elevates people. He says he's going to take people out of the trash heap and elevate them to be 
princes among the people. Folks, for some of us, we have so much that we don't see the need that we need for Jesus. It's not until Jesus is all you have that you realize that Jesus is all you need. Friends, don't you see what I've been talking about all this time? Don't you get it after all this time? Do you you see where this theme has been going this whole year? We are exiles. That feeling of, of uncertainty, that feeling like something's not right, it's because this is not our home. We are in a foreign land. It's not until Jesus comes again that he'll bring us all the way home. They say this year, this Christmas is, like, is unlike any other Christmas, but tell me about Christmas last year or five years ago. Was it the absolute perfect Christmas or was there still something missing? That longing, that sense of something missing has been implanted in us, a desire to come to Jesus. We are exiles. Do you not know where we are? We started this year still in the midst of our Revelation series. And where were we? Where are we now? Friends, we are in Babylon. We are exiles in Babylon. Genesis chapter 11, what do the people do? They say, we're going to build a tower. We don't need God. We can replace God. They build the great tower of Babel. And at that foundation, where is that place? That's the very place where Babylon was founded. Babylon doesn't exist anymore in in reality, but as a symbol, it certainly does exist. Throughout Scripture, it describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinition of the good life. Are Are you living, are we living in a place where the good life has been defined for us? The endless scroll says it's a tool. But if I lost that, now I've got one on my wrist. Idolatrous. It toys with our emotions. It pulls on our heartstrings. You want this. You can have it. You can be like these people on the screen. We saw Babylon fall in our study of Revelation, did we not? The message of Isaiah is the same. This place is falling apart. God is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. He will bring you home. The message of the coming Messiah. Take comfort, take courage, and prepare. How? Two things. Number one, be idol free. What idols are in your life? Concepts, ideas, things you've added. Maybe they just need to be crushed pounded out of your life? What things do we need to remember and hold on to? Who we are and whose we are, that you've been chosen. God knows your name. God loves you. This is not our true home. We're called to crush idols, to pledge allegiance to our true king. And we do that not just by word, but by deed, by loving those that are less fortunate, showing compassion care and concern that I've seen in this church 
to such an amazing degree, we're fulfilling our calling. There is no God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and David, of Rahab and Daniel. If you know that today, if you know that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you could never live and died on a cross to pay a price that you could never pay, and that now he's living and reigning, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you've given your life to Jesus, well, all right then. Praise the Lord. Pack light. But if this Christmas, you know that's not true. Something has been lost. Something has been missing a long time and forgotten. I want to offer to you, this can be the greatest Christmas of your life. Just days away at the end of this week. Give your life to Christ. Ask him to remove those trinkets from the mantle of your mental outlook. He alone will be the subject and the appointment of our adoration and affection. God has not abandoned you to idol worship or to mixed allegiances. He has sent his son, and his son is returning. And I don't care whether the the nativity scene has a little car figurine or not, we know that Jesus is returning soon. He sent his son into the world to die for sinners, to save the lost, to recover the forgotten, and to restore what we have replaced. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Behold him, the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. Word of God, the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. Let's pray. O God, come, let us adore you. Lord, may we strive today and every day to put you into the rightful place in our lives and into our homes, O oh God. May we not give in to fear. May, God, may we not give in to complacency. Lord, may we not give in to mixing worldly things and pagan things with true worship of the living God. God, may we pack light and may we be reminded this day that we are yours, and we've been invited into this journey. Lord God, for any here watching this program or here in this room, Lord, that have not yet given their life to Jesus, I invite you to pray with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me, Lord, for what I've done, what I've left undone. The garbage in my life, is. I want you to remove it from me, Lord God. I want a fresh start. I want to begin again. I want the gift of Christmas. Lord, I invite you into my, my life, into all areas of my life, every room of my heart. Lord God, come on in. Lord, I want to trust you now. Friends, if you pray that prayer, please let someone know today. Let us know. We can come alongside you. We're all figuring this out together. Lord God, may this be the, the greatest Christmas for this individual this family has ever known. The, drift, the, the gift of truly coming home for Christmas with Christ in the center. We pray in his name. Amen.